Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. How about another round of applause for Joe Reeder? We are so fortunate to have him as a in-house pianist here at Villas Grace. Allow us to begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you're doing, the work that we're seeing you do in and out of our lives, Lord, the, the people that you're bringing here to be part of the team at Villa's Grace. We're all partnering for the sake of the gospel. You are, Jesus, our common denominator, the reason why we're coming together. I pray that we can be a church, Lord, use us. Allow us to learn more about unity as we come together and harmonize as we go forward sharing the truth of the salvation that you and only you could provide for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're beginning a new sermon series. We just wrapped up the series Villa's Grace Values. We went through our seven core values, the foundational core values, the foundation in which our church will build upon as we move forward towards the future. Today we begin a new series as we will be covering the entire book of 1 John, verse by verse. The title, the overarching theme of 1 John is this, testing our assurance, testing our assurance. Here at Villa's Grace, we want to get one thing right from the beginning. You cannot lose your salvation. Once you come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, as Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, has sealed you, sealed you until the day of redemption, until Jesus returns again. So as we look at the entire book of 1 John, keep that in mind. Your salvation is guaranteed the moment you come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. So when we look at the book of 1 John, from here on out, remember, we're going to use this as a test to remind us. We will test what is written in 1 John to remind us of that assurance. And that's what this is all about. How about election years? We love them, don't we? Some of you are saying no already. See, you would never know who the undecided ones are who they're voting for, would you, in an election year? But see, when an election year comes our way, we get bombarded. We get bombarded with political ads, don't we? As for who to vote for, who not to vote for, some of us go into an election year decided. We know we're going to vote for such and such candidate, or we might vote for a particular party right straight down the line. Or we may be undecided. And those who are decided, they typically will let you know who they're voting for, won't they? They will slap a bumper sticker on their car. They might allow a candidate to put a political sign in their yard. And then we have that Facebook, don't we? How about that? Nobody's incognito with who they're voting for on Facebook, are they? No, it's, it's pretty obvious. 
when you know who you're voting for, usually, most often, you're pretty public about who it is that you will be casting your vote for. You let it be known. When I worked as a barber in the barber shop, trust me, everybody who sat in my chair doing it during an election year, I knew exactly who it is they were going to be voting for. But then you have those who are undecided or those who could just care less about who it is they'll be voting for. Maybe they won't even go vote. Quite frankly, some of these people don't even know. And unfortunately for us as Christians, the undecided or the could care less is kind of similar to us. See, it's unfortunate that most people we associate with wouldn't know the association in which we actually belong. The association that we associate with, most outsiders wouldn't know, but it's unlike when somebody is so decided about their political party, whether they're Republican or Democrat or Independent, we let it be known. This is who I am. This is my stance. You can put a sign in my yard. I'm going to share another political ad on my Facebook page so everybody knows who I'm voting for. But do we do that as Christians? Is that you? Are you an undecided or a careless? Do the ones you associate with know the association to which you belong to? Now here's the question. What association am I even talking about? What association is it that we should be representing? See, we are part of the association of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do the ones in your life know that you belong to that association? The title for our sermon this morning is this. Proclaim your association. We're going to be in the book of 1 John, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1 through verse 4. But we need to proclaim our association or proclaim your association. Let's get into this text this morning and see why we should be proclaiming God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy, or that our joy, may be complete. Amen. When we look at these first four verses of 1 John this morning, we can summarize it in this one sentence. We, we proclaim our association with God the Father and Jesus Christ His Son. Our joy is made complete. When we proclaim our association with God the Father and Jesus Christ His Son, our joy is made complete. 
that statement begs a question. The question we're asking this morning is this. When we associate with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, what are we proclaiming? We're being told to proclaim our association. We understand that our association is with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what are we actually proclaiming? Specifically, when we get down to it and we break this apart, what is it that we're proclaiming? See, this is what we're proclaiming. We're proclaiming that forgiveness is achieved only through Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is achieved only through Jesus Christ. Anyone in here ever use FaceTime? Wonderful technology, isn't it? It's a great way for a grandparent or great-grandparent living in Florida communicating back up north, isn't it? With grandchildren. Especially when you can kind of stand out on the lanai and get that background shot and everybody's up north. And it's what, the wind chills are like negative 30 right now. I mean, I'm wearing long sleeves today like it's actually cold. FaceTime's awesome. What awesome technology. How about that, though? How about technology? You ever think about technology? You ever think about how far we've come since the Industrial Revolution began? Think about the technology the advances in the last 50 years? Think about the advances in the last 25 years. Heck, think about the advances in the last 10 years. Now think about FaceTime again. Think about AI, which is artificial intelligence. Think about VR, which is virtual reality. We have cars today that drive themselves. You cannot leave your house, put on a headset, and act like you're actually there when you never left your front door. Think about the technology that's about to come out in five years, 10 years, 15, 20, 25, 30. You get my picture, don't you? You get my point. See, no matter what man creates, no matter how advanced we think we become, we'll never be able to mimic the authentic human relations in an interactive world. Never. Now think about God, think about Jesus, and think about the Holy Spirit as the creator. God didn't wait for the invention of FaceTime to authentically interact with us, did he? He came here in the flesh. God left heaven, took on human form, and came here. He didn't use technology to do so. And he did this because he was able to physically come to this earth as Jesus. Let's look at John 1, 1 again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. How did God create again? By speaking things into creation. Let there be light, we understand from Genesis 1. John begins here by stating this. He says, that which was from the beginning. The logical question for us to ask at this point would be this. 
Is John referring to eternity past? That which is from the beginning? Is he referring to Jesus as the creator of the universe? Or is he referring to the beginning of the gospel message being preached? Maybe. Either or, yes and, I'm not even sure. But we do know this. We can ask ourselves, what does this mean for us? What does it mean to me when I open up God's word and it says, that which was from the beginning? What does that mean to me? How can I take this and apply it to what I know about Jesus Christ? See, since creation... The gospel, the good news of salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ has not changed. Since you first heard the good news of Jesus Christ, that message has not changed. The good news of salvation through Jesus Christ is stable. The good news of salvation through Jesus Christ is consistent. Do you know what doesn't phase the good news? Do you know what does not phase the gospel message? Do you know what is like Teflon, non-sticking to the gospel message? Culture. The gospel message could care less what culture says. And we must remember that Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. Philosophy, recycled. Intellectualism, recycled. How we view science, recycled. The only thing we do as humans is recycle other men's ideas. And history has a tendency of repeating itself. Why? Because we don't study history. And when you don't know history, somebody can step right in who has and repeat something that worked in the past. And here you go. You have it again. And that's when we have to remember that Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. So speaking of technology, speaking of something like FaceTime, all technology attempts to mimic only what God can do. Technology runs on massive man-made effort to generate power. God generates and sustains his own. So think about FaceTime again. Now let's look where John writes this. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Do you recognize who John is talking about? Do you see who he is speaking about right here? He's talking about nobody else other than Jesus. John heard Jesus. John saw Jesus. John looked upon Jesus. John touched Jesus. Why do you think it's so important that John emphasizes the fact that God came to earth in the form of a human? This first verse, he's making it abundantly clear that Jesus came as God, fully man and fully deity. 
He's making a point here. See, he's making this point because people then and people now teach otherwise. No matter what you have ever heard, no matter what you ever hear, Jesus is fully God and fully human. He is not spirit alone. How do we know this? You can't see, hear, or touch a spirit. If Jesus didn't come to earth as fully man and fully God, die on a cross, raise from the dead, then forgiveness wouldn't exist. Forgiveness through technology, no matter how advanced we think we get, would not exist. Jesus came, left heaven personally to do this, to accomplish this himself. Because he first loved. Because God first loved. He came personally to deliver forgiveness to us. And then think about technology again. I know most of you think technology is ruining our relationships. Jesus coming to hand deliver forgiveness to us personally is about as authentic as it gets. And this is why we're saying this morning, this is why we're summing these verses into this one main point. When we proclaim our association with God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son, our joy is made complete. Our joy is not made complete through technology. There's nothing that man can do to push along or usher through joy. We're asking this question of the text. When we associate with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, what are we proclaiming? See, we're proclaiming that forgiveness is achieved only through Jesus Christ. Here's a little riddle for you. We're going to give you an illustration to look at. Who knows what this spells? Anybody want to take a guess? Does anybody want to say what this spells? Is anybody scared because you're in church this morning? I can't say that in church. H-E double hockey sticks. Is that church enough for us? Are we good with that? Is that okay? Can we say H-E double hockey sticks? We can say hell? We're going to say hell. But let's church it up. Let's say H-E double hockey sticks. A person who is unwilling to proclaim their association with God the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, you know what they're really doing? If they're unwilling to proclaim that publicly... Do you know what they're really saying non-verbally to everybody else that they come across? They may not say it, but they're basically saying it without saying it. See, if you're unwilling to proclaim your association, if you're unwilling to live out the fact that you are combined, connected to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're telling everybody else to go to H-E, double hockey sticks. Are you communicating this nonverbal to those who God has placed in your life? Do you not look at everybody in your life and think, hey, this is an opportunity for me to share my association, to share this forgiveness only found in Jesus? 
What would most of the associates in your life say about your association? Who would your wife say your main association is with? Who would your children say your main association is with? Your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. If we asked them, would they say, oh yeah, yeah, my, my dad, my, my grandfather, my, my grandma, my mom, my aunt, my uncle, whoever it may be. Their main association is with God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's look at 1 John verses 2 through 4 again, chapter 1. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and have heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. See, again, in the first part of verse 2, John is repeating the fact that Jesus physically walked this earth as God. John was writing to counter false teaching of his day. But false teaching then and false teaching now is no different. The world doesn't deny the existence of Jesus. That's not the problem. The world denies his true physical being. The world denies the fact that Jesus is God. Do you see what John is saying? Do you see what he's proclaiming, not only to his audience of his day, but what he's still proclaiming to us in this consistent, stable gospel message? He's saying this, I've seen and touched and heard him, and you haven't. I'm an eyewitness. How do we know that Jesus is equal with God? Because we've been saying that already. Jesus is God. How do we know that Jesus is equal with God? Look at the end of verse 2 where it says, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That's how we know. That makes Jesus equal to God. Now, the Holy Spirit is not mentioned in this verse, but the same is true for him. Church, this is our association. This is why John writes in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are connected and linked to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why we're saying proclaim your association. Your association to the Holy Trinity makes you connected and linked together because of what Jesus did for us. This is the association in which we proclaim. What do you think the foundation of our association is? We've already mentioned it. The foundation of our association with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is forgiveness. What place or location is without forgiveness? There's a place, there's a location that's without forgiveness. I'm not going to say it in church. 
especially from the pulpit, but H-E double hockey sticks is without forgiveness. Do you want to proclaim your association to the other humans in your life? Do you want to share your being connected and linked to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Do you want to tell others about the forgiveness you so desperately needed? The forgiveness you so desperately need? The forgiveness you will so desperately need going forward in the future? Or are you keeping to yourself basically telling others to go to hell? See, in verse 4, John says that he is writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So what is it that makes our joy complete? He's writing these things so our joy may be complete, but what is it that actually makes our joy complete? When you look at these four verses and you see what John is telling us, and when he says, I'm writing these things so that your joy may be complete. But see, the problem is when we think about joy, we think about happiness. We think about all these things that we can do on our own with our own power to make ourselves happy or experience joy. But then what happens? It's short-lived. Why is it short-lived? Because it's usually connected to sin. And sin is fun in the moment, isn't it? Let's face it. In the moment, sin is always fun. But then there's that guilt factor later, right? Because you realize it wasn't fulfilling enough. So what do we do? We go back to it. And then we go back to it. And we go back to it. That's why we can say we want to be able to share what makes our joy complete. See, what makes our joy complete, what completes the believer's joy is simply forgiveness. The only forgiveness that can be found in Jesus. The forgiveness that leads somewhere. The forgiveness that's actually heading places. The forgiveness that leads to eternal life. Do you know what our problem is? Let's face it. We have a big problem, don't we? Every last one of us. See, our problem is we think we're strong not realizing how weak we truly are. See, it's not till we learn how weak we are that we'll recognize how much we need God's strength. We have to accept, recognize, and embrace our weakness in order to understand how much we need Jesus, how much we need the strength of God. And learning to rely on God's strength makes our joy complete. As stated before, our series through the book of 1 John is intended for us to test the assurance of our salvation. So, have you accepted that you are forgiven through the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? That's test number one. Test one is, is recognizing that there's a past, present, and future aspect to our salvation. It's the work of the Father, it's the work of the Son, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's test number two? Test number two would be to ask yourself this question. Am I proclaiming the only forgiveness found within my association with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? 
See, it's one thing to accept I am weak and I need Jesus. But it's a whole other thing to take that message of forgiveness, of weakness and needing Jesus and proclaiming that and sharing that with others in your life. So the, the question becomes, how? How can we proclaim this forgiveness to others? How can you proclaim forgiveness to your next door neighbor? How can you proclaim forgiveness to your coworker? How can you proclaim this forgiveness to your son, to your daughter, to your granddaughter, grandson, great-grandchild, whoever it may be? How? It's simple. Act like you've been forgiven and not excused. Being excused is to acknowledge an accident. Oh, I'm sorry. Will you excuse me? Oh, it was, an, it was an accident. We need to live like we've learned all about the intentionality of our sin. We're so weak, we can't help ourselves. There's past forgiveness, there's present forgiveness, and there will be future forgiveness. Here's my PSA to you. You can feel free to stand up and walk out these doors after I say this. You will not hurt my feelings. If after I say this, you feel like you want to go find another church, you're welcome. I will sin against you. I'm going to get that out right now. I will sin against you. But don't hold me accountable for that. Hold me accountable for how I respond when that is brought to my attention. Do I treat it like I'm learning to turn away from that sin? Am I learning from that sin? Am I treating my sin like I've been forgiven in the past? I know I need Jesus still currently, and I know I'm going to need him going forward. Why? Because I'm weaker than what I think. I, in my head, I think I'm pretty strong. But in my heart, I know the truth. I'm sinful. And I still long for the day that I can take off this sin suit. But in the meantime... We need to act like we've been forgiven. Why? Because our sinfulness is intentional. Don't live your Christian life like it was an accident. Don't live like you're saying, excuse me. Admit your sinfulness. It's the best way that we can highlight our need for Jesus. We need to live like we're learning about that intentionality. We need to live like we're all about learning how not to sin. By turning away from sin, knowing that we probably will sin again. Living our life like we know that there is sin that the Holy Spirit has yet to convict us of because it would crush us. We're not mature enough as believers to be convicted of that sin. Not one of us has arrived yet. Every last one of us still needs Jesus and still will need him for all of eternity. This is the past, present, and future aspect of our salvation. This is our hope, church. 
This is the lifestyle that leads to the assurance of salvation. You can be assured that you are saved when you know and recognize situations in your life that you actually needed Jesus to go through that situation and yet you didn't lean upon him. Or maybe you did lean upon him and you only got through it because you did. When your mentality is thinking like that, you can be assured that your salvation is secure. And nobody can come to you and say, well, I think you could lose that. If there's a past, present, and future aspect to our forgiveness, how can you lose your salvation? Do you think Jesus stopped working? Do you think the Holy Spirit's sitting idle in your heart? No. We all need forgiveness. We all need to live our lives for others to see that we need forgiveness. And you can feel free to go tell your friends that your pastor said he will sin against you. I apologize. But when I do, I better ask for forgiveness and not say, excuse me, that was an accident. No, it was intentional whether I want to admit it, whether I like it or not. Why? Because I need forgiveness for my sin. How can you deal with the present and future forgiveness if you haven't allowed Jesus to forgive your past? That might be a question some of you are asking. Some of us here have some things that we did in the past that we're still not allowing Jesus to forgive. He has forgiven that sin, but yet you're still stuck on that. And when that happens, you can't focus on the present. You can't grow in the now, and you're not prepared to grow in the future. How can you proclaim the forgiveness found only in Jesus if you don't think you need it now or in the future? Because there's some of us, too. And everything in between, there's some of us who think our past sin is bigger than the cross, bigger than what Jesus can do. And then there's some of us who actually think, yeah, I don't really need Jesus. I'm a pretty good person. We had a knockout, drag, knockdown drag out with a first grader at Villas Elementary School this last two weeks. She was swearing up and down she's never been disobedient, ever, in her life. So we can't live like that. That's not the example that we represent to others. We represent the example that I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. So what do you say? When you hear what John is saying, getting us warmed up to tackle the rest of the first book of 1 John, what, what do you say? Are you saying, let's proclaim our association? Let's proclaim the past aspect of forgiveness. Let's proclaim the present aspect of forgiveness. Let's proclaim the future aspect of Forgiveness. Let's proclaim the only forgiveness that can be found in Jesus Christ. Let's proclaim that association to others. Church, that is the message that we move forward with. We move forward with the message of forgiveness only achievable through what Jesus did as God, leaving heaven, dying on a cross, being raised from the dead, putting his spirit in our hearts 
to help us along the way. This is why this morning we said this. When we proclaim our association with God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son, our joy is made complete. Forgiveness is what completes our joy. We ask this question. When we associate with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, what is it that we're actually proclaiming? We're proclaiming that forgiveness is achieved only through Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the work that You are doing for us. I pray that we can represent you in a way that brings your name all the honor and glory that you deserve because of what you have done. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.